Grab a bagel. Come on in. Have a seat. All right. Um, as we uh, kick off this morning, we have a few announcements from the uh, the church to go through. I guess I've got the clicker. Cash for corn. The bottles are on the tables again because not all the bottles disappeared last week. So feel free to take one. And there will be announcements in the bulletin on terms of bringing them back in the next couple weeks. And as, as um, you know, cash fits, coins fit, checks fit. Support the go-go grandmas. There's a young family pizza lunch, September 22nd. I hope that we have some people that fit into that category. Young families are important. LinkedIn life groups, who's in a life group? If you're not in a life group, highly encourage. This is how we build relationships. This is how we support each other. Our tables can be considered a life group quasi, but there's gonna be a LinkedIn life groups where you can talk to people that have specifics, older, younger, live here, live there, meet on certain nights, and there'll be some open life groups there to talk about. And we all know the retreat's coming up. I think we have 20-some, maybe 30 guys signed up already. Remember, we have 140-some beds. We cannot exceed the bed space. We do have John, is it John? The ops officer for White Silver Springs, here to say a word. Okay, so you don't know me in this context with a, with a uniform on. I'm an Army reservist, and I, I, uh, I'm at the Pentagon for two days a month. But you're probably, the context you usually see me is at breakfast or at lunch, and, and uh, we're really looking forward to having you come this year. We've been praying for you. Michael, I'm sorry. You're not going to be able to make it. I heard the bad news that we're not going to have axe throwing. But uh, we're going we're to have a great time, um, and we, we want to encourage you to, to sign up. Uh, I'm, I'm staying with Cal Horst. He said he just signed up, so I encourage you to sign up and, and join us. Uh, as you can see, the date's 18th through 20 October. Um, thanks a lot. Uh, we do have some information about White Sulphur Springs if you're, not in, if you're not familiar with it on, on most of the tables. And we also have father-son, father-daughter retreat or events coming up this fall, so take a look at that. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Mike. Next slide. Oh, sorry. Whoops. What well, we've all been waiting for. Back to the trivia. Overtime rules introduced in 1974 reduced what had been a very high frequency of tie games. Yesterday, the Lions and Cardinals played 27-27 tie. This was what opening day tie since 1974? In simplified language, how often has this happened? I did not know we don't have sheets, so write them on write it on the points on your um sign in sheet, please. And please indicate who is here from the sign up sheet. 
Trivia number two, on September 10th, 1939, HMS Oxley became the first Royal Naval submarine to be lost in World War II after she was struck by lightning, caught fire and sank, struck a mine off the coast of Norway, was torpedoed by a friendly ship, was death bombed by a German destroyer. There is no all of the above. All right, as you write that letter down on your um, sheet, it's my pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Michael Dickerson. And let me uh, pray for us and for Michael. Heavenly Father, we recognize that you're God and, uh, and just give you praise for who you are and just recognize that Literally, we, we, we cannot do anything without, the, um, without your spirit, without you in our lives, anything good. Lord, I ask you, bless these men as we get together and build relationship. Bless Michael. Bless the preparation that he's done um, for the lesson. And Lord, I, I ask that we just absorb your word and that as, as we gather here and we grow in knowledge of you, we, we become better influencers for those people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, men. You guys ready for this? All right, let's do James 1, 1 through 8. James a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes and the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. <clears throat> James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. The first thing that jumped out at me here is this word doulos, which is translated as servant but in some translations, it's actually bondservant or slave, which is actually a little bit more accurate. Now, you may, you may already know that a bondservant is someone who essentially sold themselves into slavery. They gave themselves over wholly to their master without pay and without legal rights or protections. This is someone who is committed in a way that subjugates his own will and freedom to a master. And this is how James describes himself. And so right here, before the first sentence is even finished, God throws a brick in my face. See, I already knew this word doulos, but I never really considered what it implied about me and my life and in my relationship with God. So truth time here, I freely admit that in my walk, I've too often acted more like an independent contractor than a bondservant. I've had periods in my life where I was completely bought in, but there have been far too many times where I treated God more like a third-party vendor than as a master. 
Hey, you know, we don't like that word master, do we? You know, in our contemporary, particularly American minds, the word master implies weakness and a kind of patheticness that's to be disdained rather than revered or respected. I mean, even in movies, right? Those who have a master are usually the henchmen of the, of the main bad guy, right? And in kung fu movies, master is what the hero aspires to and attains rather than subjugates himself to. And so giving your life and your will over to another, that's not something that's naturally inherent in the DNA of our American ethos. But here we have James from the get-go telling everyone that he's not the boss and he's not going to be. And that, in my mind, makes me want to sit up a little straighter and pay attention to what he's having to say. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Well, I think we can safely say that most of the men in this room are far enough along in their walk that you realize that the call to faith is not a call to easy street, right? And if this is news to you, guess what? Here it is in black and white. James says, when you meet trials, not if. And he says trials, not trial. And he says various kinds, which means we don't know where this is coming from. And we don't know where it's coming from or when it's coming. Now, the word here, meet or encounter in some translations, it's the same word used in Luke 10, 30, when Jesus was talking about the man who fell among thieves, when he's talking about the Good Samaritan. And it's also the same word used in Acts 27, 41, when Paul's ship strikes a reef and runs aground. So we don't always get to see what's coming. And sometimes we do get to see what's coming and we have no power to veer out of the way. Happy. Still, the end of this verse was a lot easier for me to deal with than the first part of this verse. I gotta admit, this has given me a lot of trouble. I mean, big time. Some translations say, count it pure joy. Some say, count it an opportunity for joy when you face trials or temptations or troubles. You know, reading this first part of verse two on, on the surface has kind of a, a Pollyanna feel to it, doesn't it? I mean, put on a happy face and it's gonna be okay. Even the military is actually granted us a phrase that kind of speaks into that notion, embrace the suck. I'm sure a few of you have fired that off in anger at someone, right? Or had it fired at you. But my struggle here has been, how do you say that to someone who is facing the loss or has lost someone precious? How do you say that to someone who has lost their job out of nowhere and is now teetering on the brink of homelessness, not just for themselves, but for their families. How do you say this to someone who has given their heart and trust to someone who then betrays them and grinds their innards into dust? It's been tough. This has been tough to chew on. I kept thinking, I kept praying. There's got to be some nuance that I haven't noticed. I'm missing something. James can't just be saying, put on a happy face. And then the Holy Spirit invoked my inner word, nerd. <clears throat> I was looking at the Greek words again for the umpteenth time, and I noticed a word that looks kind of like an English word. Marty does this to us all the time, so I'm going to do it too. 
Let's see who my fellow word nerds may be. Hegeomai. That look like a word or sound like a word you might know? Hegemony. Hegeomai means to rule or command, to have authority over. Hegemony is defined as leadership or predominant influence exercised of, of one nation over others. But an alternate definition is what kind of turned the light on for me. It's aggression or expansion by large nations in an effort to achieve world domination. Now, of course, my mind being what it is, when I thought of world domination, first thing that came to my mind was Pinky and the Brain, which led to The Simpsons, which led to Stargate SG-1 for some reason, and I had to shake my head because I was <laughs> surrounded by books, and I was losing it. <sighs> One dominating the many is the key here. James is not saying that joy is to be our only response to trials. He's not telling us that we have to happy face our way through this. Now, we're not supposed to go looking for trials, but neither are we to ignore the fact that they're happening. We feel pain. We feel grief. We feel lost. We feel helpless. We feel betrayed and abandoned and tempted and afraid and ashamed. But we must consider, we must hegelmai, we must put in dominion over the rest joy because we know that these trials, when we make it through, make our faith stronger. James is saying more than just embrace the suck. He's saying this trial is not for nothing. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The word for testing here carries with it the idea of purpose. Like the refining of gold. You know what I'm talking about, right? You basically boil the gold until the crud comes to the top. You pour it off, and then you've got pure gold, right? <clears throat> you've heard that before. But I think, honestly, that's a little generic. Because trials here, this testing has an authenticating purpose. And authentication is specific and individual. Trials are where the rubber meets the road in our faith journey. Is God who he says he is, or is he lying? One translation interpreted the word trial as temptation, which threw me off until I understood this concept. The temptation is to give up, to give in, to take the easy way out, to embrace the suck rather than embracing God. The temptation is to doubt God's character, to believe that he is less than. The faith that James is speaking of here, carries with it not just belief in something, but also fidelity and commitment and truth. It's a kind of active faith that allows us to align our will with God, to abandon ourselves to God. And the testing comes, doesn't it? When the truly hard times come, we face the test, but also when the little things crowd in around us as well. The traffic is bad or you have an incompetent boss or coworker, or that guy gets your order wrong again, or you get the 15,000th unsolicited sales or survey call, or you get stuck in the rain without an umbrella or whatever, are you going to acknowledge that other person is also made in the image of God? And are you going to ask God for wisdom and grace in relating to them? Are you going to scream a cuss word in your head or mutter under your breath while wearing a face of civility? Trials of various kinds test our faith. They test our willingness to give over our own bodies, hearts, minds, and wills to a truly great God. 
And this is supposed to produce steadfastness. Some, some versions translate steadfastness as perseverance, patience, or endurance. And the word here is not a kind of stoic, set your face and get through it. This is not passive like the word patience implies, but an active determination to stay the course in the face of opposition. Aubrey says that muscles need something to push back against in order to grow and strengthen, that muscles grow through discomfort. (laughs) (laughs) And we face the trials. We're tested. And we lean in on the character of God knowing that he loves us. We choose to love him back even when we're in the crap storm. Even in the uncertainty and frustration and pain, even in the middle of it all, we can choose to believe that God is who he says he is or that he's lying. And if you don't know, pro tip, if you don't know who God says he is, start with the book of John and go from there. And let steadfastness have its full effect. The NAS says, perfect result. And you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, and so all this testing leads to perfection. Yes, we have arrived. No, slow your roll. None of us are getting out of here perfect. At least not in the normal sense of the word. Perfect here isn't speaking of something ideal. It's speaking of something complete. Barclay says that the constancy born of testing well met makes a man perfect in the sense of being fit for the task he was sent into the world to do. You know, when I read that, I was transported to the Valley of Elah. Remember, that's where David faced Goliath. And we're told that there was a a stream bed running through the middle of that valley and that David reached down and selected five smooth stones, stones perfect for the use in his sling. How long did it take to smooth those stones? What did those stones have to go through to be precisely what David needed in that moment? You know, in a way, we are stones in the hands of the greater king. But we have to be just right to serve our purpose. We are being shaped so that we might be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, so that we can be fit for the task we are sent into the world to do. And that perfection, that completeness, that's God's design, not ours. We get in trouble when we decide what's best, right? We get in trouble when we decide that God had no right to insert here. When we get in trouble when we let down our guard when we decide for ourselves that it's break time, we've had enough, and we're just going to let off some steam here for a little bit. But the good news is, you don't have to face these trials alone. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. And there are people around you that, as my wife likes to put it, are Jesus with skin on. James didn't write this letter to some dude. He wrote it to the 12 tribes, to the brothers, to all of us. You don't have to face the trials alone. You must not. We're all in enemy territory until Jesus takes us home. Until then, we need each other. 
Sometimes the load is just too much for one guy to hold. And sometimes we just need someone to stand guard while we collapse. You are not alone. You are not alone. And there are no bonus points for solitary, white-knuckled acts of, of fortitude. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. Wait, what? Didn't James just say that we would be complete, lacking in nothing? Yes. But remember that he's talking process here. And with that in mind, the wisdom he's talking about isn't general wisdom like Solomon asked for to be a good ruler. This points back to the trials. This points to the testing. He's saying, if you don't understand what's going on, ask. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person is, must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I lump these last three verses together because they essentially combine to describe the opposite of what we've just been talking about for the last 15 minutes. Doubt is the opposite of faith. Doubt says that if we can't think of a good reason for what's happening, there must not be one. Doubt questions whether God really knows best, whether God really loves. Doubt questions the integrity and character of God. Doubt nullifies the bond in bondservant. And it tells the master he's not good enough, not worthy enough to be trusted when it counts. And doubt reserves the right to disobey. The man who doubts, the double-minded man, is a fence sitter. He's trying to serve two masters. He's not a bond servant. He's an independent contractor. And such a man is going to stumble. He's going to go through life and knocked around and swept away by his circumstances with no solid ground to stand on. And so how, how have you been operating? What is your default mode in trials? Do you embrace the suck rather than embracing God? Do you happy face your way through because weakness is for losers and suckers? Are you acting as a bond servant or as an independent contractor? And at the end of the day, is God who he says he is? Or is he lying? Got some questions for you. <clears throat> Turn me up a little bit. There you go. Hey, guys, let's bring it back together real quick um, so we can dismiss and get out of here on time. I'm sorry, I missed the code. Michael, I want to say thank you once again. Round of applause for Michael. Thank, thanks to you, we've entered a new level of transparency at our table on our testing and our faith journey. And I'm totally serious about that, so thank you for 
that message. Uh, for the table leaders, um, my apologies for not having the score sheet. You got this while you were in your discussions, the little sheet. Put on there the number of attendance, whether or not the um, table leader sent out an email. Um, and also, if you had anybody at your table that brought a new face to the breakfast, write down who was brought to the breakfast. We talked about that last week um, for a bonus point. Um, a round of applause for table one for sitting up this week. Thank you. <laughs> table two. Next week, you've got it. We have um, electric knives here, four of them. So you don't need to bring your own. All right, guys. One for all. I'm sorry. Oh, trivia. Get ahead of myself. The important part. Trivia answers. Well, here's a question in case you missed it. You want to write down the answer real quick. Second, second time this has happened. And then for the uh, poor HMS Oxley that was struck by lightning. No, it wasn't. It was torpedoed by a friendly ship, HMS Trenton. Thank you, Jack. All right, until next week, one for all.